Since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about how everything worthwhile is uphill. Pastor Stephen mentioned it. And most people have uphill hopes, but downhill habits. Uh, nobody has downhill hopes. Nobody's like, man, I hope that I gain the weight I don't want to gain. Like, like no, nobody says, man, if I could just have less money in the bank. Uh, like, like people have uphill hopes, but then their habits take them downhill. And if we can align habits with our hopes and, and understand that our hopes should be aligned and should be uh, informed and salt and peppered by the, 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 the word of God and his spirit inside of us, when we can get the right hopes and we get the right habits. It's an alignment for an incredible journey with Jesus. And so, so we talked about week one, habit number one, focus on what you do first. The, the beginning of our year, the beginning of our month, the beginning of our week, the beginning of our day, like put God first. You cannot have God in any other position. He's God. And so if he's not first place in your life, guess what? He's just not really God because there's only one position God should have in our lives. There's only one position God demands and deserves is first. He won't take another position. Week number two, we talked about preparing him room. So once we put him first, how do we prepare him room to, to do what he wants to do? You know, I love, a, I love to get my Starbucks order and I get a grande drink in a venti cup. So I got plenty of room because I really like more cream than I like coffee. And so I want to have room for them to add into it. And how do we prepare our, our room, our hearts for God? And if the soil of our hearts aren't right, the seed won't be successful that he wants to plant inside of us in his word is the seed. And now habit number three was going to be something completely different this week, but on Wednesday, I just couldn't shake. I wanted to come back to a thought. And, and, and in fact, seven years ago, I preached this. So if you've been with us seven years, you might have these notes. In fact, someone said, hey, I saw that you preached this on October 10th, 2010, 10, 10, 10. I said, I hope it was better the second time around. He said, much better, much better. So today I want to talk to you about habit number three, and it's this, deal with that one thing. I was gonna to talk to you about listen to the whispers of God, but truth be told, he is whispering to you. And there are these things that we deal with that we need to talk about today. So once we put him first and prepare him room, we gotta deal with God's help with the one thing. I wanna say it like this, every person in this room, every person, young or old, good looking or good looking, Longtime Christian or brand new baby Christian, conservative or liberal, Democrat, Republican, black, white, you name it, rich or poor, single or married, divorced, widowed. Every person in this room has something in common and it's this, every person has problems. <laughs> God bless you, you're dismissed, okay? Like every person has a problem. Every person has a problem. But, but here's the truth that I wanna, I'm gonna to talk to you about today through his word. Every problem can become a platform that God can use. Every problem can be a, a platform for God if we will let him. It can be a, a stage for him to show up. Not every problem that you deal with is from God at all, but every problem you have dealt with or are dealing with can become the stage for him to do what only he can do. And what I wanna invite you into today is a surrender to what God wants to say, what God wants to do, so that he can deal with that one thing that we're all dealing with. And we're gonna read a story, it's a true story, 
It's a few thousand years old, but it's right there tucked away in your Old Testament. In fact, the story of the Bible is one thread of a story of God's love for mankind. And the, the, story, the Bible is not a story about, about people who wanted to get close to God. It's actually a story about a God who desperately wants to get close to people. And it's a true story. It's a real story. And it's a story that can invade your life and change everything. Starting on Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to be starting a 31-week series. I know, gulp, that sounds crazy. But we're going to be taking 31 weeks to, to walk through the entire story of God from Genesis to Revelation. And a resource to help us do that is the story. It is the Bible in novel form. There's been nothing added to the words of scripture. There are simply some moments where there's a, a paragraph that would be in italics that would connect you from one moment chronologically from start to finish, one moment to the next. And all in all, it's about 80% of the Bible. Well, I want 100%. Well, that's why this is not a replacement for your Bible. You need to read your Bible. But if you read this and you read nothing else, you will have read 80% of the Bible this year. And that's about 76 more percent than some of you have read. And that's okay. I wanna make it easy for you to read. And if I can get you to read 80% and you haven't read 80%, I'm okay with you reading 80% and just 80%. Let's get to the 100% eventually, how about that? But let's start with 80%. We sold out of our books last, last week. It was such a huge, we have over 200. We've restocked, we have the story for kids, we have the story for young kids, we have the story for toddlers that parents can read. We have this, we also have it in Espanol and our Spanish venue that meets at 11 o'clock in our student center, they're gonna be going over the story as well. It's gonna be an incredible experience because you need more of the word of God in your life because it's breathing and it's living and it's active and it never should have been treated like some kind of relic in a museum, it is a Live for today. And in 2 Kings chapter 5, we read one of these amazing stories that although it's thousands of years old, it has relevance to 2018, to your life right here in good old East Texas. So turn with me if you have your Bible or watch along the screens. 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me read this story. The king of Syria had high admiration for Naaman. Naaman was the commander and the chief of his army, for he had led his troop to many glorious victories. So Naaman was a great hero, but he was a leper. Bands of Syrians had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a little girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. And one day the little girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Naaman told the king what the little girl had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to carry to the king of Israel. They were enemies and they were in a time of peace. So Naaman started out taking gifts of 20,000 in silver, 60,000 in gold, and 10 suits of clothing. It's a pretty big situation. The letter to the king of Israel said it like this. The man bringing this letter is my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read it, he tore his clothes and he said, this, this man sends me a leper to heal? Am I God that I can kill and give life? He's only trying to get an excuse to invade us again. But when Elisha the prophet heard about the king of Israel's plight, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet of God here in Israel. So Naaman arrived with his horse and chariot and stood at the front door of Elisha's home and Elisha sent a messenger out to tell him to go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and he would be healed of every trace of his leprosy. But Naaman was angry and he stalked away. Pfft, pfft, look, 
I thought at least he would come out and talk to me. I mean, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call upon the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And aren't the Abana River and Farpar River of Damascus better than all the rivers of Israel put together? If it's rivers I need, I'll wash it home and get rid of my leprosy. So he went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Naaman, bro, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply to go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the prophet had told him to. And his flesh became as healthy as a little child's, almost like he was born again and he was healed. Then he and his entire party went back to find the prophet. They stood humbly before him and Naaman said, I know at last that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. I want to pull out some lessons on dealing with that thing from the story of this great hero. Would you pray with me? Father, in the next few moments we have, I'm hoping that the time we have together comes to an end. We will be stirred up, shaken up, challenged, convicted. May we humble ourselves today. God, may we respond to your word like you want us to so that we leave different than when we came in. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God, amen. So like, he was a great hero. Naaman's brave and fearless leadership on the battlefield led to critical victories that made him a popular household name. Men respected him. Women wished their husbands were more like him. Boys took turns imagining they were him as they played with their toy swords and toy shields in the dusty streets of the capital city. The gleam of sunlight that would glimmer off the metals hanging on Naaman's uniform would almost blind you as he rode through the city streets of Damascus and through the royal palace gates. He had favor with the Syrian king He had prominence, he had popularity, he had money. The Bible says he was a great hero, but there was this one thing. Naaman had leprosy. It was a painful, humiliating issue. Leprosy is this uh, old medieval uh, disease that, that starts on the inside and works its way out of the body. The first appearance of leprosy is a discoloration of a patch of skin. Over time, the skin thickens and becomes, becomes uh, uh, hard and crusty and can produce a foul discharge. Are you with me yet? <laughs> the, the eyebrows fall out. The, bo- the voice becomes hoarse. Breathing becomes wheezing and hands and feet become bloody stumps. We don't know how far Naaman's leprosy had advanced, but there was no cure for this disease. You heard about the baseball player, the pitcher who had leprosy. He threw his arm out. That was bad. That was bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The leper hockey game, there was a face-off in the corner. Okay, moving on, moving on. It's not funny, everybody. That's not funny. Before he put on his flashy uniform, though, Naaman, before he could put on his armor, he most likely had to bathe in some sort of special herbs and spices to soothe the skin and ease the pain of the open, spongy sores all over his body. He was a good man, great hero, but there was this one thing. There are those things in your life and in mine 
Small things, big things, blatant things, secret things. You want to live your life for Christ, you're doing your best to begin to be a Christ follower, but there's those things, and you may cover it up or hide it or try and soothe it with herbs and spices, and I don't mean taking a bath. You think it's gone, but it keeps coming back. You deal with it over and over. You wish you could get rid of it. It seems incurable. It's unstoppable. There's this one thing. Some of you may not even realize what the one thing is because we have gotten so used to it, it's become part of the furniture in our lives. So you've never really dealt with it because you, you don't really notice it. So you just live with it. That attitude, that addiction, the criticism, the one little thing called bitterness or unforgiveness or lust, Everything else seems to line up in your life, but this one thing. Now, Newman, Naaman knew what his one thing was and understand something. He was probably hopeless because there was no known cure. It was a tragic, dreadful situation for this great hero. But this leads us to statement number one. On your worship guide, I want you to fill this out. Statement number one. No matter how dark the condition, God is constantly at work in the midst of a problem. No matter how dark it is, God is constantly at work. When Adam and Eve failed and they were embarrassed and they saw their vulnerability, they hid from God, yet God was at work in the midst of the problem. When, 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 when David was face to waste with a giant, God was in the midst of a problem. When three Hebrew children would not bow to cultural pressures and they stood strong in the face of adversity and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, another incredible story in your Bible. God was at work in the midst of the problem. And while you still were sinners and still are sinners, Christ is in the middle at work in the midst of our problems. You're here today and, and you, you, your, your off weekend just happened to be this Sunday and you're here at church, God is at work in your problem. Maybe you're watching online this morning and you're watching today, maybe live, or maybe you're watching this video a few weeks from now because somebody recommended it because they know you're dealing with one thing. God is at work in your problems. Now, Naaman tries to go on with his life. He has leprosy, but he's still useful. So like most of us that have that one thing, we just kind of try keep, to keep living. Life goes on, but the leprosy continues to hinder his body and he's slowing down and it's starting to be difficult just to get out of bed and the leprosy is becoming more apparent. He, he can't hide it under his armor anymore. And so before, before he gets out to the palace, he sits down for breakfast that morning with his wife at the kitchen table and this little servant girl serves him his plate and before he can take a bite, he has a coughing fit and he can't stop and he's wheezing and he's coughing up blood and the servant girl quickly takes her kitchen apron and gives it to Naaman so he can clean the blood from his chin and his collar. His wife stares at her once strong husband. She doesn't know what to do or say. She too is hopeless. Naaman struggles to finish his breakfast. He puts, it, puts on his coat and he gets one foot in a stirrup and his wife grabs him by the arm and says, Naaman, don't go today. You need to rest the kingdom will survive a few days without you. But he shakes loose from her concerned embrace, struggles to mount the horse, and he heads to the capital. And, and this, this servant girl is watching, I don't know where, but maybe from the kitchen window. Now listen, the servant girl is a servant. Her and her Israelite family were ripped from a border town 
placed in the commander's home, the commander of the entire enemy army, she could have been asking herself, why me, God? Why did you let this happen to me? But instead, this ordinary, insignificant servant girl sees past her own issues and has compassion for her master. And when I say servant, I mean servant. I don't mean like some paid help, okay? She's not like Julie Andrews with the Von Trapps running through singing, you know, sound of music and, and do do re me. This is a serious issue. If anyone had a concern about their situation, it must have been, it could have been the servant girl. Number two, tough circumstances reveal true character. You need to understand that when the going gets tough, that's what reveals your character. When things are good, look, God is good. When things are clean, man, God's all in charge. When everything's going the way we want it to go, but when the bad report comes or when the addiction still rears its head or when there's issues at home or you're having to file for divorce or this is going on and that's going on and you're going through the, 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 the sludge of life, those tough circumstances will reveal the true character. And we see this happen in this little servant girl. She sees the distress and heartbreak of her master's wife and instead of letting her owners walk in darkness, she offers them something amazing. She didn't, ha she didn't have to tell them about the prophet. She didn't have to give them hope. But Naaman's wife sits at the breakfast table and the servant girl, as she's cleaning the dishes, she says, you know, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman's wife could have shrugged away her comments. She could have said, you don't know what you're talking about. Slapped her in the mouth and get out of here. Could have kicked her to the curb. Servants don't let their masters tell them what to do. But there was power in the words of this little ordinary insignificant servant girl. We don't even, scripture doesn't even give us her name. She's a nameless servant. But God used this nameless servant in an extraordinary way to begin the process for Naaman to deal with his one thing. Would you write this down, number three? Do not underestimate the impact your words have on someone's life when you humbly speak about the power of God. Don't underestimate just loving Jesus. You don't need a sermon. You, ju you just need to live a life of humble expectancy and thankfulness to God. And you won't, you'll be surprised at how many people at some point say, you know, there's something about you. And this nameless servant girl, her life is used. Look, everybody, God doesn't just show up in a supernatural, unbelievable church service. God shows up in a whisper. He shows up in a friend's encouragement. He shows up whenever and however he wants because, you know, like he's God and he can use the powerful and big and mighty and he can also use the ordinary and the insignificant and even the junk in our lives that we've overcome to lead people to him. Pay attention. God wants to show up in your everyday life, your everyday conversations, not just to show up and say, I'm God, but to show up and bring direction and healing and cleansing for your life and those things. Now, I don't know if Naaman's wife has to twist his arm or not. I'm sure he's probably a stubborn man, but the words of that servant girl penetrate the heart of Naaman's wife. And I assume it took some convincing, but Naaman's wife convinces Naaman to go and see the prophet. So before he can go across the border to Israel, into Samaria and visit the prophet, first Naaman goes to his boss, the king of Syria. 
And his king wants what's best for his right-hand man. He says, man, by all means, go, go. So Naaman picks up treasure chests full of gold and silver and fine clothes, and he heads across the border to the Israeli capital. Now, at this time in, in the history of Syria and Israel, they were enemies, but in this time, there was a peace treaty. They were at peace with one another. And so in order to kind of keep that peace, they were tolerating, tolerating each other, but the king felt it was good to go ahead and send the, the money, the little dowry, if you would, and, and then the letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman rides into Israel with a military platoon. He goes up to the palace of Israel and he goes into the courtroom and he drops, drops off a treasure chest and cling. They open it up and there's silver and there's gold. They pull in this wardrobe. They open it up and there's five Versace suits and five crushed velvet Adidas track outfits. And like the king's pumped. The king's excited. He's like, I love to work out in those things. Everybody in the courtroom says, man, this is cool. You know, look at the gifts that Naaman brought. Dilly, dilly. And, and um, sorry, inside, inside thought there. So, 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 so he's brought all these gifts, but, but then Naaman's right-hand man pulls out a letter and kind of walks up to the king and says, here you go, king. And the king opens the letter and the letter is from the king of Syria and it says, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. The king reads this letter and he rips open his clothes and he says, what? I can't heal anybody. Syria is taunting me. They're just looking for an excuse to break the peace treaty. Naaman's going to go back to his king as a leper and come back to Israel with his mighty might. He's going to scalp me and scalp them and scalp you. And we're all going to be in trouble. And that's going to be the end of our kingdom. And I'm going to become a slave myself. Okay, number four, write it down. Our tendency, when the stakes are high, our tendency is to look to self for answers first. It makes sense if I do it this way. It makes sense if I just ignore it. It makes sense if I just treat it this way. It just makes sense. Our tendency is to deal with our things inside of ourselves first. The king is nervous because he can't see past himself. He can't look beyond his own authority, power, and position. How very selfish, but yet we do the same thing. We want certain things. We think life should go our way. We think we should have all we need within ourselves, but we don't find God looking inside. We find God out here and he invades the inside and works his way through the inside out. We have to look past ourselves and past our own strength beyond our circumstances and that's where we find the perfect strength of God. Isn't this an interesting contrast? Look at it. The nameless servant girl sees past her slavery and he points her master to the power of God. But the king of Israel cannot see past his own crown and his own limited power in order to direct Naaman to the real source of power that is the prophet of God. Even furthermore, Naaman in his, arrogant, in his arrogance and his reliance upon position and upon power, he goes to the king. But the servant girl didn't say go to the king. Who did the servant girl say to go to? The prophet. And he's trying to go through this process that just makes sense to him. And the servant girl didn't say go to the king. The servant girl said go to the source. 
But that was below Naaman. I mean, Naaman's a decorated war hero. He didn't need to see the little pastor. He was there to see the king. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. But Naaman wasn't quite ready to like, you know, humble himself. And that's our plight too sometimes. Thankfully though, somehow, word gets to the prophet Elisha that the king is stressed out, ripping his clothes off over something that is out of his control. And so Elisha says to his messenger, go, go, go take this message to the king. And so the messenger shows up in the courtroom, not, not Elisha, mind you, just a messenger. And the messenger says, there is a, a you know, message from Elisha to you, my king. Elisha says, my king, chilleth. <laughs> chilleth out, my king. Know that there is a prophet in Israel Bring Naaman to me, and he will know the power and prominence of the one true God. If you put all your hope and all your trust in pastors or political leaders or your paycheck, you'll find a limit to that power and prominence real fast. It's God's dream for your life, not the American dream for your life. You gotta go to God for your trust and your source. When you connect to the power and prominence of the God of the universe, his power is limitless. So Naaman, as he leaves the Israeli palace, I assume his attitude is getting a bit bent out of shape. You would too if you were dealing with leprosy and you've been on horseback and you've been to one person and they're saying, I can't do anything and they're acting like a crazy clown and then you get another message and then you know, you're gonna have to go across the countryside to a whole nother place. And so I assume he's getting a little bent out of shape. Not only does he feel like he's getting the runaround, he's still dealing with the leprosy, which doesn't make the matter any better. So he took the advice of a servant girl. He watches the Israeli king cry and whine like a baby. He gets directions to the prophet's house, leads his men out of the house to the prophet. And this is where things get even crazier. Serious. Like you ought to read your Bible. There's some great stories in there. They're all on horseback and Naaman's waiting in the front yard. And one of his servants knocks on Elisha's door and there's no answer. And he knocks again and there's no answer. He knocks again, no answer. He walks back over to his horse and, and mounts the horse. I, I don't know. And then there's the creak of the door opening and out comes a, out comes a messenger. And, and he, he comes out and he says, <clears throat> Naaman, that's me. Hey, hey um, the, uh, the prophet said, go to the Jordan River and dip yourself in it seven times and you'll be healed. Bye. <laughs> and he walks back inside. It's like that's the, that's the end of the exchange. Number five, pride and assumptions will deeply affect our spiritual experiences. There are so many people not experiencing all there is to experience with God because of their pride and their assumptions. Their doctrinal assumptions, their emotional assumptions, their historical assumptions. 
And Naaman says, I came all the way here for this. I went through all this travel. I rode through all the discomfort. I bought those Versace pants and the prophet doesn't even come out and greet me. Doesn't even, doesn't he know who I am? I could put a javelin through his throat from 50 yards. He doesn't even come out and wave his hand over me like I saw on television. Does he think I'm some beggar, some vagabond, some pauper? This is not how you treat the second in command. This is not how you treat the general. This is not how you treat, my rivers in my nation are so much more cleaner. That river won't make me clean. That river will give me leeches. Who does this guy and who does this God think they are? His pride and his opinion, his assumptions could have blocked him from seeing his true condition. And we have our own opinion about church. We have our own opinion about worship. We have our own opinion about putting God first in our finances or in fasting or in trusting. We have our own opinion about how God should move or act or how prayer should sound or look. The supernatural should be like this or not like that. And your own pride and opinions and assumptions, if not checked, if not paused upon, will barricade you from really experiencing God in your life. Because God doesn't limit himself by moving in only one way or only one direction. He's not limited by your opinion of him. He's free to do what he jolly well pleases and how he does it is up to him because guess what? He's God. And again, look at the stark contrast, the heart of the prominent, powerful, prideful general in contrast to the heart of the servant. It was the heart of the servant that led him this far. And it was the heart of his own servants, his own men with him that kept him from galloping off in a heated rage. Because Naaman's military guys, they get together and he's about ready to, to, to gallop out of there. And they say, whoa, 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 Naaman, 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 dude, like, hang on. It was like they were saying, you gotta look past your pride, Naaman. Had he asked you to do something grand, would you have done that? He's just asking you to do something simple. Come on, Naaman, let's, let's ride down to the Jordan. We'll help you off your horse. You got nothing to lose. We'll dip. If it doesn't work, we'll go kill the prophet. It'll be a great day. We'll go get Chick-fil-A afterwards. <laughs> Naaman says, I do like their chicken strips. Let's go. God asks us to do something or sacrifice something, change something in our lives. And we like to dig in our heels and say, I'm not doing it that way. That's not what I wanted God to deal with me about. I wanna do it my way and I want God to bless it. I wanna, I wanna do love my way and I want God to bless it. I wanna do life my way and I want God to bless it. I wanna do my finances my way and I'm asking God to bless it. I wanna do my relationships my way and want God to bless it. Students, listen to me clearly. There's a path for life. There's a path for life, it's God's path. You do it your way, it's gonna end horribly, I promise you. It, it, you have a path written out by the Lord, by his word, follow it, follow it. Adults, parents, marriages, you can look to the story of God through those pages. God breathes his word in you and through you and speaks to you about how to deal with real life stuff. Listen close and I wanna ask the question. All right, are you listening? Lean in. What is it that God is constantly speaking to you about in your walk and in your life, yet you are not listening to his voice? You're digging your heels in. 
What is it that he wants to deal with in your life, yet you refuse to give it up, that one thing? Careful, because obeying him with the one thing might just be the secret key to moving forward in the other things. So I'm sure the general was pouting and talking to himself all the way to the river Jordan. Didn't even come out to see me. Didn't even wave his hand. Dirty river, are you kidding me? Didn't even come out of his house and his servants are all rolling their eyes. They're like, just get in the water already, Lord. (laughs) Gets to the bank of the Jordan and he begins to disrobe. And now his pride is gone. Because as he begins to take off the armor and he begins to get ready to wade out into the brown water, he begins to show his body in front of his men with all the wounds and the open sores. He finally does what he didn't want to do and he's chest deep in the Jordan and he begins to dip himself into the murky water. He dips once, he comes up, he wipes the water from his face and there's no change. And he dips a second time, nothing. He dips a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and he comes out of the water and his body looks the same as when he had come in and the temptation had to be there to just give it up and quit because he had already dipped six times and nothing happened. There is no sign of any kind of progressive miracle. There was no process. It looks like he's been made a fool in front of God, in front of the prophet, in front of his men, yet he dips one final time. And when he dips the seventh time, everything changes. comes out of the water and his skin is like that of a young boy, the Bible says. Notice the baptism imagery. Immersed in coming out new. That's what baptism is all about. Almost like he had been reborn. Wow. Write it down, number six. And I I really believe that number six here, I really believe it. Staff, I really believe it, friends, I believe it. This is the theme for this year. As we go through the story, as we go through our Sundays, as we go through inviting Jesus to uh, give him room and put him first, I, I believe this is like the theme. God encounters are found along the path of glad surrender and trustful obedience. It was in his surrender and obedience that Naaman experienced his transformation. Wow. And he gets his armor back on. It's like, it's, it's not even tucked in. He's so pumped up. He gets on the horse and says, saddle up boys, we're heading to Syria. And I mean, they just get after it. Naaman gallops past the palace because he's not interested in seeing the king. He gallops home to his wife. Can you imagine the reunion? How long had it been since they had been able to just squeeze each other and just kiss each other on the mouth? 
I wonder if he didn't find that little servant girl and scoop her up in his arms and give her the strongest bear hug you could imagine. Not only was his body cleansed, his heart was churned toward the one true God and the leprosy that Naaman couldn't conquer on his own, God conquered for him. And that's the power of the cross because there's some junk in your life that you can't conquer on your own and you have to surrender it and obey to the power of Jesus. And it's only that when we get the power of Jesus operating in our lives that that one thing we couldn't conquer, he says, that's nothing. That's nothing. Offer yourselves palms up to God and he'll lift you up. For you and for me today, no matter what we face, no matter what we, who we are, what we have, what we don't, that one thing you're facing, humble yourself before the living God. Follow him, not just when it's convenient, Put him first, prepare in room, let him through his power deal with that one thing. You guys together, you can't ignore it. You can't hide it. You can't say, okay, God, deal with it. He says, no, this is a dance. This is a partnership. I have all the strength you need, but we got to partner with this together. I'll provide the power. You provide the surrender. I'll provide the power. You provide the obedience. I'll provide the direction. You provide the humility. Follow him. He may lead you where you didn't expect. He might even ask you to do something that you might not like, but obey him. Rely on his strength and direction. He'll guide you to healing streams of grace. He can transform everything in your life, even that one little thing. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, it is by God's divine plan that you are here this morning. And maybe the one little thing is the biggest thing you could ever offer to him. And that is offering him the place of God in your life, the place of savior, the place of Lord, giving him the throne room of your life, which is your heart. If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be the center of your life, or maybe it's been a long time, maybe that's your thing today. It's time to change. It's time to start over. It's time to restart. If that's you and you would like me to pray over you, you would like me to lead you in a prayer of surrender, a prayer of obedience. If that's you with no hesitation, not gonna embarrass you, but you gotta be bold on your end. You say, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. I want that one thing, him to be my ruler. If that's you and you need that prayer and you say, pastor, include me in that prayer right now, would you put a hand straight up in the air, put it in the air right across the room. I need Jesus to be my savior today. That's the one thing I wanna deal with. All across the room, many, many, many hands. You can put your hands down. Oh, Jesus sees you. It's not about the pastor seeing you. Jesus sees you. Let me pray over you. God, I pray that you would open their hearts to see that without you, they're, they're lost. Friends, maybe even in your own words, you would say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me, for giving me this chance to make things right with you. I'm gonna step off the throne of my life and I want you to be the final authority. I give you the biggest thing and that's my life. And I know that you'll help me with the little things, the other things, the one thing. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for giving me this moment. I surrender and I wanna obey and I don't even know what all that looks like, but I... I choose 
to say, you're my savior, you're my Lord, and I don't wanna do this on my own. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you have that one thing, God's brought it to your mind, you're dealing with it, you know it's an issue, and you are tired of dealing with it on your own, and you wanna hand that palms up to God, you don't even know what to do. It may even think, it, that may even seem trivial that you would hand this over to God because you've been trying to bite your bottom lip and do it yourself, and guess what? Those are the kind of results you're gonna get. But if you want to symbolically hand it over to Jesus and spiritually hand it to Jesus today, that one thing. I invite you, would you put a hand up along with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. Father, thank you that you did not spin this world into existence and then just expect us to figure it out. You have given us a clear crystal plan of everyday living through your word. You've spoken. And God, whether it's this symbolic seven times going to do something. If it's, if it's saying no, if it's saying yes, if it's pulling back, if it's pushing forward, if it's running fast or if it's slowing down, God, we will follow you. We offer these things, this, this feeling of insecurity, this wound that someone placed upon us, this temptation that just seems to like invade my entire identity this hurt that someone I trusted wounded God palms up I give it to you thank you for loving me so much that you would never leave me alone to deal with these things on my own that you give me a fresh start and the power of your spirit bless every situation in this room that 2018 would be a year of transformation and encountering you as we surrender and as we trust. In Jesus' name.